the Las Vegas Raiders could so become. So not only are owners saying, I'm taking my talents to South Beach, but now whole teams are going to just say. I am taking my talents to Canada, but I'm staying in Las Vegas. That seems like the best of both worlds, quite frankly. Then we'd have a CFL team in Las Vegas, Dave. And Carlos moves to Las Vegas. I will, become, I will become your CFL correspondent in Las Vegas. I will be a beat writer for the Las Vegas Raiders of the CFL. And it's like, Antonio Brown's like, what have I done? <laughs> 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 Suddenly, Mr. McShane was like, he does an interview where he's like, I regret everything I've done that led me up to this point. Yeah. Can I go back to Pittsburgh, please? I have made so many mistakes. Ben, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, I apologize. Uh, I apologize to that right there would be worth it. It's like I apologize to Heinz Ward. He has nothing to do with this, but I apologize. Take me back. That'd be amazing. Yes, yes, it would. Ah, I just built a better version of the CFL that I'll never see. Everything is now just a disappointment by comparison. You're listening to part two, really part one, of episode 23 of the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast. The podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by why does Kawhi do the things that Kawhi does? These are questions that we ask ourselves and that we'll be asking everyone that's listening. I'm Carlos Akazar and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. The answer, Carlos, is Uncle Dennis, obviously. We're all going to blame Uncle Dennis, but I, I actually am going to go a little more conspiratorial, and I don't think there is an Uncle Dennis. I think there's an actor who plays Uncle Dennis, and I think it was Kawhi all Basically, Uncle Dennis is Kawhi Leonard's Kaiser Soze. We're, oh. we're going to see him walk away, and it's like, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing you didn't exist. We're all sitting there looking at Uncle Dennis, and all of a sudden, Kawhi walks away. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm cool with that. If you, I also appreciate the Kaiser Soze reference. I, I think at the end of the day, we're going to discover this is what happens. The man is an evil genius as a connoisseur of treachery. I love it. I enjoy it. I think it's quite good. We're going to talk about that and the result of it. Because it's not just Kawhi Leonard making a decision. It's the Kawhi Leonard decision that leads to another decision that leads to another decision that the dominoes just keep falling and falling and falling. So and that's... And if anything that this postseason has told us, we, it's that the dominoes are going to keep falling. Well, the thing so, is... You know, what, and which we're going to allude to yeah. when, we, when we get there, right? I don't think it's done. I think, I think, I think the, the, the dominoes have started to fall, but I think there's still more dominoes to fall now as a result of what has happened. In the truncated version of the podcast last week, I alluded to it. We had a whole podcast recorded. We were good to go. There's elements of it that I'll bring back for an Unnecessary Nonsense Pod Extra. We're going to definitely have that on the channel at some point. Uh, that'll be on the YouTube channel. You can look it up at Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. So that's a little partial plug for later. But the point is that we had this whole thing mapped out. We had it recorded. And then almost immediately it was rendered moot by Kawhi Leonard making his decision. The question at the time was, why did it take so long? Like, was it just, was it really a long-term deliberation? Well, we're going to allude to it in the main topic, but it looks like there was a reason, an actual reason for why it took so long to get all the pieces to fall into place. And it's really changed the dynamics of the way the NBA teams are set up and changed the overall landscape of the NBA in a lot of interesting ways that we'll talk about more shortly. But first, let's do a little bit, a couple of news and notes, just a handful this week. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Home Run Derby, Mr. Trumbull. You watched a little bit of the Home Run Derby from Hotlanta during your, your business. Actually, before we get there, I would like to tell you just a brief story about my travels to Atlanta. He has a story about Atlanta. Well, it's actually not about Atlanta. It's about Toronto. But we're in the airport waiting for the flight, and we're at, in Terminal 1 at Hearth Restaurant. Fairly good food. And we're sitting there, and lo and behold, who walks by? 
Randall Grichuk. So he's obviously flying somewhere for the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're like, hey, it's cool. It's Grichuk. You know, a few of us were talking about it. Had a little baseball conversation, as you do. And then, later that night, my buddy reads a tweet. And he's like, hey, Grichuk tweeted. What did he tweet? He tweeted the following. Worst day of air traveling. Never traveling at Air Canada again for personal travel. Completely wasted day one of break. Hashtag made us change flights. Hashtag delayed flights. Hashtag no bags. And Grichuk is not somebody from the looks of it who tweets fairly often. It's just kind of funny when you run into him and then he's just... We were also flying Air Canada. Our flight down was great. Flight back, eh. But the flight down was fantastic. And then you just... Hey, there's Andrew Grichuk that we saw and he seemed in a good mood and all of a sudden his vacation was ruined by Air Canada. To be honest with you, I understand what you're saying. But I really think if you wanted to see the man tweet a little more, you should have asked him what he thought about liquor markup tax. Tweet storm. Well, if, I mean, but if you ask him that question, he's going to be tweeting more than Donald Trump. These are, these are the consequences. No one loves the liquor markup tax. Repeal, repeal, repeal. That's all I'm saying. That's the, that's the area that I would stand on. But, but that's fair. As we get back to Home Run Derby, though, uh, yeah, so I did watch most of it. I missed the, the, like, the first round of it, but the rest of it we had on in the hotel. And as we were saying earlier off air, I was like, when did they change to the format of timing instead of outs? I think I think uh, one one point I'll make about exactly what you just said is I think it's come to the point that the home run derby, I still enjoy it for what it is, but it's almost so ubiquitous that I kind of like watch it and turn my brain off. Like I'm literally watching it and, it, and I've somehow managed to completely miss that for the last four years the format changed. I'm staring right at it and I still don't see it. Yeah. It's for somebody that just didn't click in my brain that there was a clock there because I'm still thinking, all right, 10 outs. So when they say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit 2,900 runs, I'm like, oh, that beat the Josh Hamilton record. That's cool. But then it's like, oh, then I, then I, I watched the replay of it because I caught bits and pieces, but I watched the replay of his specific round with the 2,900 runs. And then I'm looking and there's a clock. Now, on the one hand, I think that's good because having the guy up there for like 15, 20 minutes with like 12 breaks, getting tired and doing it over and over and just dragging the home run derby out forever, that's no fun. But... Putting the clock on it is probably best for the derby because it encourages them to swing at more of the pitches. Because the old format is that you had 10 outs. So if you're going to do that, you're going to actually just sit there and wait for pitches that you like. So you're going to be standing there with the bat on your shoulder for a while. And it makes the thing take forever. By putting a clock on it, it's like, well, they're going to be up there for three or four minutes. That's, that's it. They get one time out if they want it, but three or four minutes. And then you can go sit down and get your breath and, and then come back for the next round if you advance. I like that. But then, to me, it's like, I'm not counting that then as the same record. It's not the same, it's not under the same rules. You're actually better served because you can just keep hacking away. You're putting an asterisk on it, Carlos? I, I am putting an asterisk on it. It is not count. It can be the record under the new format, but it's not the same as the, the old, the 10-out format means you could take 10 swings and be done. With the new format, I could take 100 swings if I can get it in in four minutes. Well, you are fundamentally changing the way it's being played. Yeah. So it's one of those things, like, I don't mind it, and I think it's good for the fans. I think it's better for the viewing audience to have a timer on it. Just so I it's think not, it is, too. Just so it's not dragging out. So it's more fan-friendly. So I appreciate it from that perspective. And obviously, the guy hit a ton of home runs. So it didn't... Well, the Jock Peterson and, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. duel, where they went to two uh, overtimes, if you will, yeah. was, was fantastic. Yeah, and I, that's what I say. Like, I think this format is very fan-friendly, and bringing in some of the younger guys, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year, He's still a very good home run hitter. He's got a ton of potential. He's got eight home runs. In previous years, he would not have been in the home run derby, like under any circumstance. And he wasn't even an all-star. 
So in the normal circumstances, he's not there. But I think it was good for the fan, and he put on a hell of a show. So by definition, this is a good thing for the home run derby. So they're being a lot smarter about who they're putting in there. I think it was for the betterment of the specific event. No, absolutely. And I think he wins if he hadn't had to go toe-to-toe for three rounds, if you will, with Jock Peterson. But you could clearly see that he was getting tired. Yeah, and that's always a thing in the home run derby is that you'll have somebody who comes in and just hits a ton of bombs. But if they just keep hitting home runs at a certain point, they're just going to get tired. They're going to lose a little bit of concentration, hit a couple of balls off the end of the bat and stuff. And it just that's part of the game, too. It's not but just also seeing him hit 91 home runs total is unreal. Yeah, for sure. Congrats to Vladdy Jr. And I think it was um, Alonzo, Pete Alonzo, who yeah. won the home run derby. So congrats to him. And, and the New York Mets need some kind of fun or some kind of good. Ironically, it's two teams that really haven't performed that well who had their representatives in there, so it was good for the fan base. It's like, at least it's something. It would have been kind of fun to have Vladdy win, but he's 20 years old. There's a really good possibility he'll have a couple more opportunities to play, and if he can demonstrate a similar showing to this, I think it'll be fun to watch him in future home run derbies when he has other opportunities. For sure. Next bullet point that I wanted to hit. I don't want to be mean about this, but I'm totally being mean about this. I scour, you know, the different sites here in Canada. I go look at TSN. I look at Sportsnet. Of course, I go check out other sites. I'm looking for little news and notes that we can throw in here for the podcast. But this one was a report that Phil Kessel trade sparks sales boom for the Arizona Coyotes. So on the surface, this looks fine. I, I don't have an issue with this, and I really don't have a personal issue with the Arizona Coyotes. Although I think the fact that their franchise exists is a joke. But with that said, and I like Arizona, as you well know. I do. But the thing is that hockey in Arizona is just nonsense. But the big statistic that they said from the Arizona Republic, Coyote season ticket sales went up 600% in the week following the June 29 trade compared to the same week in 2018. Okay, so two things. I love stats. I love statistics. It's glorious. But the problem with it is uh, one of my old uh, high school teachers, probably the only interesting thing the man ever said because he's as dry as Melba toast, and I used to make fun of him for it. But one of the truth, truest things that the man said, and I agree with him on this, is an old saying. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. The problem is this statistic, it, it, it leaves so much open that, it, that it, it's like 600% for that week compared to the same week in 2018. What did the Arizona Coyotes do in June of 2018? That, that doesn't mean anything. It, it, you could be up, you could have had one season ticket, season ticket sale in June of 2018 and now have seven, and it's gone up 600%. Yeah. Congratulations. The, the, the lack of context is what's the issue. Yeah. Including a 550% boost in total ticket sales. Okay. How many ticket sales did you have previously? What? <laughs> I'd be more impressed if I knew what that actually meant, like in real quantitative numbers. And the other piece that they included in here was the, the Republic reports a 94% renewal rate of season tickets this summer as their highest mark since their move to Glendale. Again, sounds good. But if you have 100 season ticket holders and 94 of them renew, that would qualify. I'm not suggesting that's what happened here, but I'm saying, like, statistically, you don't need a very large sample size to accomplish what we just said. Yeah. So I will refrain from being as impressed as I could be that Phil Kessel is quite the ticket mover that this would suggest. But I guess it gives the Arizona Coyotes fans something. He's a good player. (laughs) Well, that that is true. I guess congrats, Arizona Coyotes fans? Question mark? I got nothing. 
Next point. Kind of a feel-good story. It's a good one. I wanted to throw it in here uh, because it just happened, I believe, the other day. Uh, the LA Angels throw a combined no-hitter, which is always kind of a rarity in baseball. It's a fun little thing. I also quite like that before you – I also yeah. quite like the just the combined no-hitter. It's kind of cool too. Well, in the modern era, I think it's going to have to happen more often because realistically starters don't go nine. Not very often. They'll, their pitch counts will get up too high and they don't want to throw them out there. And a combined no-hitter is, is actually still a very impressive stat because the more pitches you throw out there, the likelihood of somebody – making a mistake goes up. Yeah. Because absolutely. somebody can get in a groove if you're a starter, but if you're a reliever who comes in in the middle of a no-hitter, that's kind of a pressure situation. So this is still a tough thing to pull off. But they do a combined no-hitter on the same night. They were honoring Tyler Sags, who passed away recently, and were wearing 45 jerseys in tribute, and his mom threw the opening uh, pitch to begin the game. So interestingly enough, that was the game that they had the combined no-hitter. So then they uh, did the little uh, thing where they put all the jerseys on the mound and tribute, uh, but it was kind of a good story that it happened ha- be be with the with the family there in attendance. Absolutely, it's it's a great story and a great story for baseball, great story for the team, great story for the family. Yes, yes. So it worked out actually quite well. So nothing more really to add to that. It just. Good on them for pull up, good on them for doing it. Good on them for the team rallying around it and being able to. It takes a lot of concentration to pull this off, especially for combined no hitter, because it's not just one person doing it. It's the entire team working on it, and it takes a lot of work to pull that one off. So, congrats to the LA Angels and condolences to the Skaggs family, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, at least that was a, a highlight moment for them uh, in in otherwise kind of dark time. So next, I do want to talk about UFC Sacramento coming up a little bit. Normally, that's what I'm looking forward to, but I do want to mention it a little bit here because there's a couple of fights on that are interesting to me. So on the main, in the main event, you've got Aspen Ladd taking on uh, Durandamy, which I think will be interesting. And there's a couple of other uh, ones in there that are kind of interesting. Normally, I'll go through the list of them, but there's one that I want to highlight in particular. And it's a favorite of mine just because of the interesting story. And I was looking it up because I wasn't sure. So on the, under, on the uh, prelim card is going to be Nico Montano. And the thing with Nico Montano is she has a very interesting and checkered history in the UFC. So she's got a 4-2 record, but what happened was that she was involved in the Ultimate Fighter. And what happened is that she got into the tournament at a time when they were going to establish the the flyweight division. And what happened was she won the tournament and therefore became the UFC's inaugural flyweight champion. But after that, almost everything that could have gone wrong did. In her first title defense, she was supposed to take on Valentina Chevchenko, who has since won her own title. But prior to the weigh-in, she was transported to hospital due to the effects of weight cutting. So the bout was canceled. So she was never able to defend the title. Eventually, she was never able to get to, to do a defense, and she was stripped of the UFC women's flyweight title without ever having defended it. So she's a former champion who technically never defended her title. And then, in April of 2019, she was suspended by USADA for six months for testing positive for not, and an out-of-competition test. So again, now she's on the shelf. So technically, she is going to face uh, Juliana Pena in this fight, but this will be, so after winning a championship, this will be her first fight since December of 2017. Wow. Yeah, so technically she has never been injured, but she tested once positive for USADA, and she had to be admitted to the hospital for a weight-cutting issue with on her first title defense, and as a result, she won the championship and never defended it in any way, shape, or form, therefore making her probably the least successful UFC champion of all time. A very dubious huh. distinction, but it'll be interesting to see if she can kind of start putting the pieces back together and try to make the climb back up the, back up the ladder. We'll see, but it is kind of an interesting subplot that I just thought you might you might that might catch your eye. Oh my! It, sometimes stuff like that happens. Sometimes it's the storylines inside. So I bet you wouldn't have caught that one. And that's in the undercard. That's in the um, that's in the prelims. So there you go. Little a little side story for people on the prelims. Never sleep on the prelims. Sometimes there's some interesting stories in there as well. 
So as far as little news and notes, I think that's it that I have. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about in the news and notes? No. Okay. I'm good for that. All right. So with that said, it is now time to talk about madness in the NBA, Dave. Madness. And Endless it, madness. And it really is madness. There's a lot here. So let me start uh, with the least insane thing that we can discuss a little bit. Uh, KD, of course, signed with the Brooklyn Nets to go along with Kyrie. He will not play in the first season, but, you know, they're, they were kind of a package deal. So in the end, they got what they wanted. They're in New York-ish. They're in a burb, a suburb of New York. Um, and they're going to be, theoretically, a potential, you know, kind of top-tier team starting next season. Kyrie, will, we'll see what Kyrie can do with the Nets this year. But then the following season in 2020, 2021, we'll see what that combination can do if KD can come back from the injury successfully. But what's interesting is that um, in order to try to prevent the look of tampering on the Brooklyn part, the story came out that KD is basically suggesting that, well, the I should say the Brooklyn Nets are suggesting that they found out that KD was signing with them from social media via seeing KD's uh, Instagram and that they didn't know and they hadn't actually met with KD prior to him basically saying that he was going to sign for them. Which, okay, I, KD's weird. I could see that being a thing. It's like, but imagine, it's the equivalent. I heard the analogy in another podcast, and if I could remember which one it was, I would give credit for where it's due. But this is the equivalent, Dave, of me just going to an organization and saying, all right, guys, I agree. I'm going to come and work for you. And they're like, you can do that? Yes. And this is the job I will take. And yes, I agree to this salary. Yeah. And they would just stare at me like I have two heads. On the other hand, they'd be like, well, you are Carlos. And that, you know, that might work for me. And apparently, well, you know what though, with you, you are probably a bad example because for you, if you just said I'm Carl, it would probably have the same effect as the KD thing. Yeah, it, it might work. It, actually it, it might work, but just just think about that. That's basically what's being no, suggested. It's is, that, is that KD is like I have decided that I am willing to play for your organization. Thanks. And uh, but it's like, but do, do you want to talk about it? Yes, I will play for the max. <laughs> but I haven't even you. It's like I agree. I accept your terms. Send me a contract. <laughs> Great negotiation. Good job, everybody. So it, it's very interesting. I, I'm dubious. I'm dubious a little bit. Well, the, I, the whole tampering, I mean, you know, stuff goes on in the NBA all the time. But this is just insulting. I think this is genuinely just like, we're just, we're just fucking with you guys now. Why right? do you even need to say that? Everyone figures you probably tampered. Yeah. Nobody really cares. Right? Unless so you, many deals were done within blatant. the... So many deals were done within the first hour of free agency. So many deals that require conversations. Well, they exactly. require to work out numbers Absolutely. and things. You, you can't, can't just do it. Exactly. You can't, like, no, without having done some sort of talk beforehand. Somebody had no to way. lay the groundwork for terms and everything. Exactly. They, had, they, had to, they had to have had, even if it's indirect, even if it's, you know, maybe Uncle Dennis was behind it. At the end of the day, you know, you know Kaiser Uncle Sosa. Dennis or, or the or Kawhi. Actually, that was Yes. Why, my so answer is yes. Why, so maybe that's why Kawhi took so long to sign is because he was actually getting everybody else signed first. What you have to understand, if you really take the uh, Kawhi Leonard, Kaiser Soze thing to its full extent, is that Kawhi actually benefited from everybody signing first because then he could really fuck with the Lakers, which is basically what he did. Which is the o- one of the only reasons that I'm not really upset. It, it's glorious. Like, there's a, I'm saying, they're late. we're going to find out someday there'll be a book where somebody will be like, as it turns out, Kawhi knew everything, was involved in everything, and he basically just picked up the phone and said, KD, you're signing with Brooklyn, but you are signing with Brooklyn. And then that would explain the Nets being like, but we didn't know. KD just reached out. Personally, I think I would take um, a 30 for 30. 
I think it can be done. I think uh, I think that's the next logical, you know. the great ne- the great next sports documentary. The story that needs to be told. And call it like the machinations of Uncle Dennis. But Uncle Dennis in quotation marks. Indeed. And we'll find out there was no Uncle Dennis. There never was. Who and that the- guy at the parade was, we'll never know. But. And then just like that, poof, he's gone. Anyone who gets that reference, I already referenced the movie, so just watch the end of the movie and you'll, you'll get it. But anyhow, uh, it is interesting. So now that segues smoothly into Kaiser Kawhi. And now let's talk about, so I already talked about Kawhi signing with the Clippers, but now that it's official, now that we know what the terms are, the terms themselves are also interesting. So we'll talk about what kind of leads off of it, but it wasn't Kawhi signing with the Clippers for the full max. It was Kawhi signing for three years, two players, two years plus a player option, which leaves him with the flexibility to be able to pursue a bigger super max, having cleared the 10 year clear, the 10 year requirement. But here's, here's the thing. So I found this out on the weekend. And I hope I'm correct because I just trust my friend who knows a lot more about basketball than I do. He can't actually sign for a Supermax because he will not have played with the Clippers for enough time or something. Something to do with the terms of the contract that he won't have. Like, so he can sign for more money. He can sign for up to 35% of the cap. Yep. That's true. But he won't be able to sign for as long of a term because of the limited amount of time he will actually have played for the Clippers. I think that's right, but I think he's still allowed to do a higher version of the Supermax with the 10-year requirement met. But I don't think you can... I think you only do a max. I don't think you can do a Supermax. We'll right? have to kind of... It, which is... It's a difference of one year and, and some money, but... Right? So it's not a huge difference, but I'm pretty sure that's, that's the case. We'll do a little bit of research, and we'll come back to that. But the point is that there is some flexibility to it, and the fact that he didn't sign for the longest part of it, that in itself is interesting. It's hard to say, though. There's, there's a lot of mechanisms to it. So that was one thing. Paul George also signed a similar kind of deal. Now, the, the Paul George part that kind of played into it and part of the delay with Kawhi was that, in effect, he kind of went and did the rounds and, found, and looked at different people that he could potentially go and play with that he wanted to. Because the, the underlying theme right now is that Kawhi wanted to go to L.A., but wanted to go to L.A. on his terms. He didn't want to go to L.A. to an unwinnable situation. He still wanted to have a shot. He wasn't. He knew he wouldn't be able to stack the deck fully, but the goal wasn't to stack the deck necessarily, but to give him enough weapons so that he wouldn't have to try to carry it himself. Paul George ended up being the conversation, but I, from what the reports are, and the problem is they're reports because Kawhi stays quiet. He doesn't say anything. So which at least lead, publicly. Which gets to that Kaiser Soze metaphor even more. Yeah, so it's like he, he kind of works behind the scenes and works in machinations. Doing that, he reached out to like the Kyrie's of the world and you know even KD and like different scenarios he pursued and looked into to see if he could secure somebody. If it had come down to that, he might have considered the Lakers, but I think more than anything, he just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to join LeBron. He didn't want to go there and do that. He wanted to basically be the guy, but then he wanted to have his guy, whatever that was going to be, whatever it was going to look like. And he's already got his title with Toronto and he gets full credit for that. And then he has a title with San, with San Antonio. So he's got a couple of titles in his resume no matter what and two finals MVPs. So he was in a position to be able to kind of control his destiny more than a lot of other players. But he took full advantage of that. And as I discussed previously, the deal for the Paul George was a bounty of draft picks for them. And I'll kind of recap it again here as well. So for the Paul George trade with the Clippers, the Thunder receive, and get ready for the mispronunciations. Here it is. We're getting for it. So Shai, Gilgis Alexander, and Danilo Gallinari and then four unprotected first-round draft picks, the 2021 via Miami, the 2022, 2024, and 2026, and then as well as a protected first-round draft pick in 2023 via Miami, and the right to swap picks in 2023 and 2025. 
a mouthful, to say the least. A lot of picks. That in itself is a thing. But that, of course, led to the Lakers then immediately having to respond. Like, when I say the domino effect, I mean literally Kawhi takes care of that business, gets Paul George to go over. All of a sudden, all these draft picks shift over to the Thunder. Paul George is no longer in the Thunder. And now and now the Lakers have to scramble. They have to fill in that roster. We talked about how empty they were. So now they have to overpay Denny Green. Two years, $30 million. Immediately have to sign him. They got to sign Boogie Cousins on a one-year deal. They have to sign Rajon Rondo. They have to sign uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Resign him. JaVale McGee. Quinn Cook. Now at least they have a roster. And a decent-looking roster overall. And, and quite frankly, I, I mean, barring injury... If I was a Lakers fan, a roster I would be quite happy with. That's a major caveat, though. The oh, injury thing is, is like the is like the sword of Damocles hanging over that franchise. Absolutely, it is. And that's and, the one. And, and quite frankly, I think it will. Ha- I think somebody will get injured. It's almost a guarantee at this point that there will be a major injury that will impact the Lakers. But at least on paper, they did what they had to do in that scenario. There was nothing else that could be done. So good for Danny Green on getting paid. Good for these other guys on having a job this year. Like I understand, but the Kawhi move forced that. And, Absolutely did. And then after that, now immediately, so now we've had that machination happen. So, but Kawhi's hold, are, can, can I just before? Yeah. Because I know we're going to continue talking about this. Because there's a lot. Absolutely mm-hmm. there is. But I find this is the part that I find interesting. Go on. Is that really we thought going into free agency, right, after day one, pretty much everything had been done. We we're just waiting for Kawhi, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, so many people signed on the first day with so many different teams. We already talked about KD and Kyrie Irving didn't you know people we didn't mention like Kemba Walker etc so we felt things were sort of settled but it turns out things weren't anywhere close to being settled and then when Kawhi did sign we thought okay we've it's settled and then the Paul George thing happened we're like okay it's settled and then so from there as soon as this happens now OKC is now in play because it was because there was the word out there that the Raptors at least discussed or considered the possibility of trading for both Russell Westbrook and and uh, Paul George. And if that had come into play, obviously that would have been insane. It would have been interesting, but insane. But at the same time, that meant that Russell Westbrook was kind of on the block. Now, Russell Westbrook wouldn't have been okay with that if he didn't at least know about it. And as we go along, it became clear that Russell Westbrook at least had an inkling because the Paul George thing happened. And then almost immediately, Westbrook is kind of on the block officially with everybody. And then they have to, and then they trade Russell Westbrook to basically the only team they can trade him where their salaries going back and forth can work. So they trade him to Houston where Chris Paul goes the other way. So now we're, so, so far, the Kawhi Leonard thing has impacted the LA Clippers. It's impacted the Los Angeles Lakers. It's impacted the Oklahoma City Thunder. And now the ripple effect, the Kawhi effect, is shifting out to Houston. So this is still indirectly related because all these moves are one after another. Well, yeah, because I think I think what the Houston thing is, I think they've made the move more or less because they feel it's better for team chemistry and clearly the team is signed with James Harden over Chris Paul. Yeah. Which, quite frankly, I understandable. would too, It's quite understandable. James Harden is younger and a better player. Yes, and less injury prone, and like there's a lot of et cetera, elements, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things, uh, right? But you know, it's interesting for them to trade a sort of a, a like for like, not contract wise, but player wise. So I'm not sure Houston, on paper, gets that much better. But it's interesting because Westbrook's probably not available if Paul George doesn't go. Yeah, for sure. Right, which is really again goes back to Kawhi. It changed the, so dyna- the it changed the dynamic of the Oklahoma City situation. It changed where they were. Like they were no longer thinking about okay, we got these two guys and we're going to go forward. Now it was like okay, well maybe we got to rebuild. 
But so as part of that, it wasn't a straight up swap. It wasn't just Westbrook for, you know, Chris Paul. The contract dollars moved them around to kind of help that out. But then also Oklahoma City also receives first round draft picks in 2024 and 2026 and a pick swap in 2021 and 2025. And if you remember the list of picks that I already read off for the Clipper deal. So basically, Oklahoma City will be drafting every player in the NBA for the next five years effectively and between them and the pelicans they will just trade you know they will draft everyone yeah and i think here's the thing right like if i was an oklahoma city thunder fan or sort of the pseudo new orleans fan i am not really because i a pelicans fan but just because well, in fairness you're kind of a pseudo fan of any team you like well not the same it's debatable but anyway you know you know my love for the city of new orleans is strong yeah yeah uh and and i would be you know you'd be upset but at the same time a little bit more with New Orleans right now because they've already used some of those picks. Yep. But, you know, it's sort of like the you accept that they're going to do the rebuild, but it's almost like it's on an accelerated pace. Yes. Right? So I, if I'm an OKC fan or a, a Pelicans fan, I'm in a place where I'm thinking, you know what, this season's probably not going to – I mean, New Orleans is probably going to have a better season than OKC this year, but I like where my team has positioned itself for that rebuild. Mm-hmm. Right? Because – OKC now has, in terms of the two trades, they got out of it eight first-round picks, mm-hmm. four pick swaps. Which could potentially be, depending on where they're at, yeah. like gives them a ton of flexibility. And that's in addition to the picks they already had. Correct. Like their own picks, right? Yeah. So in, in the next, you know, five, six years, they've got ten first-round draft picks. It's a lot because right. because these things go well into 2026. There are picks going into 2026 here. Yeah, crazy. Think of seven years of picks. Going forward. Like. You know what? And, and here's the thing. Really, all you have to do in order to make it work is not be the Edmonton Oilers. Right? So you're, so you're saying they're not going to draft Connor McDavid? Probably not. Although that was a good draft pick, and he's turned out pretty well. I don't know if it would work in the NBA, though. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I, I imagine Connor McDavid would work out better in the NBA than most of Edmonton Oilers' first-round draft picks have turned out in the NHL. Fair. This is fair. But that's the, that's what's interesting about the situation is that, like, Oklahoma City was in not a no-win situation, but they needed to do something. They, the situation was over. It wasn't going to work with Russell Westbrook anymore. Clearly, there was no combination they could put together with Russell Westbrook that would going forward. He wasn't going to get younger. He's still young enough and still athletic enough that his game still lends itself where he's still an asset. That's why Houston still coveted him. And that's why they were able to get that deal done. My thought process and what I explained to you was that I don't think Chris Paul is going to play in Oklahoma City. I think they're going to buy him out. or co- I think it was a salary cap thing. I think it was the only contract they could think of yeah. that they could make it work. And I think there's also but there's the potential for another trade. Yeah. Uh, but it's still difficult. It's a real tough trade to pull off with the money. The, exactly. the, the sheer size of the contract. Because he's, like, he's stupid money. Yeah. It's stupid money. That's why I think those extra draft picks were thrown in. It's kind of like, all right, do us a solid. Get this guy off our roster. Because his salary is ridiculous. We can take Westbrook off your hands, but then we'll give you some draft picks as kind of compensation. And then buy him out or do something, and then we're good. Yeah. And then I, Oklahoma City did it kind of a solid for Houston. Yeah, absolutely. For future considerations, effectively. Fair enough. But so, yes. So as you know, commitment bartering, I think that's probably the thought process behind it. We'll see, of course, how it plays out. But going with the Kawhi effect in the dominoes, falling still... That means that there's a real possibility that there's still a Chris Paul deal to be made of some kind, whether it's a buyout, whether it's a trade, whether it's – it goes forward. Dare you say Chris Paul to the Toronto Raptors? Could be Chris Paul to anybody. But the point is that uh, – the point is that overall, 
That means Kawhi has indirectly or indirectly impacted both L.A. teams, the Houston Rockets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and one of the Chris Paul scenarios that's played out is maybe Chris Paul to Miami. So there, but don't forget Toronto too. Sure, but regardless of where you end up doing or where you end up going, is like that's like five or six teams, directly or indirectly, whose fates have been moved based on. And think of where we were a year ago at this time, roughly. Yeah. Right. In terms of Kawhi and his impact on the NBA, it was really not much. The biggest, right? thing, the biggest impact that we can think of, you know, if you think back to our previous story, the biggest impact around this time last year was the Arizona Coyotes not having Phil Kessel and just the impact it had on their, you know, season ticket base. Right. Statistically, as you well know. We do. That's, it's a lot. And it's very interesting because now you're in, now you're in NBA Summer League. So in theory, you know, the NBA should be in a quiet period. But it's like, it's not, because there's still questions to be asked. There's still ideas that could happen. There's still possibility. And as I said, Chris Paul is still kind of hanging there as another, um, you know, loose thread in this kind of uh, Kawhi downstream impact. So now we'll see. I don't know if there's another, if there's another trade in the works. And if that in turn leads to another trade, which it could, more draft picks moving around, something like, who knows? Yeah. It could just be cash. It could be a lot of things. But that is as the NBA turns. Yeah, you know what? It really has become sort of like a soap opera. Like, that's a good analogy. It really, at this point, is what it is. And Kawhi is the puppet master. He, LeBron should take some notes. This is how you properly manipulate the league for your own benefit. Now, just as a fan of sports in general, do you feel that the player power, such that it is, is too much in the NBA? Or are you, are you okay with where it is right now? In general, yes, it is, I think. But it's worked out to our benefit because I think that... Sorry, when you say yeah, you mean too much? I, it is too much because it's one thing where you're an independent contractor. Here's the way I look at it. Let, let's talk about it this way. As an NBA player, you're a contractor. You're a person who's under a contract. I agree to render my services, in this case basketball. I agree to play basketball for you for a year, two years, five years, whatever. You will pay me X, Y, Z. And in return, I will try to play my best for you. That's basically what we're agreeing to. Now, unlike a lot of other businesses, you can trade my contract to someone else where in turn I would then be bound, theoretically, to render my services for them. Now, where the player empowerment era has come is that I can say, well, it could be like me working as a consultant in Toronto, which is like a thing that, it's, it's a real thing. But then, you know, them saying that, okay, I'm going to trade you to a similar company in the same industry, and they're based out of Vancouver. Well, I don't want to move to Vancouver. But in the business world... That Except would, that you actually do. No, no, but I'm saying in, the, in this theoretical scenario. Yeah, no, so, I, know. I know. So I'm taking two big cities in Canada. I would be cool with that personally, but it, let's say you have a family. Let's say you've got a situation. you got a house. It's like, now i got to sell my house. i got to do... An NBA player has a lot more flexibility because of the dollars we're talking about. But from a practical day-to-day perspective, most people can't wrap their heads around it because they're, th- they're just looking at the money. It is a pain to then say... I'm here for five years or four years or whatever, and then now a couple of years in, you've moved my contract. So the players are kind of taking back some of it where they're saying, okay, you want to move it. This is where I want to move it to. Or when they're a free agent, they say, okay, I will do this, but you have to provide these things for me. And it's not just perks. It's not just money. It's I want to choose my coworkers because that's in effect what's happened here is that it's like, okay, I will come and work for you. You will pay me this money, but I also want to kind of choose who I work with. Yeah. Which seem to be, you know, from the rumors that are going around, because, again, until we get the documentary, we'll probably never know. Mm-hmm. But 
that the reason or one of the reasons that he didn't re-sign with the Raptors is because Masai Ujiri was like, I run the show, not you. Mm-hmm. Right? And Kawhi was like, okay, I'll go run the show in L.A. And that seems to be what's going And then <laughs> by running the show in L.A., also somehow running the entire league because of the Kawhi domino effect. That's fair. That's a, that's a very true reality is that that's where the player empowerment comes into play. It's just kind of the players and the owners doing a dance because the owners kind of did this to themselves to a certain degree because they set the – this whole Supermax thing and everything bolstered the middle class in the NBA. Like the LeBrons and the Kawhis can get like the top tier well, market. Well, I knew we are always going to get that money. Yeah, but the thing is, as a result of it, it means if you're in like a second tier market, if you're in an Oklahoma City, you had a Russell Westbrook, but let's say you didn't have a Russell Westbrook. Let's say you had a Kemba Walker and he was your guy and you want to retain him, then you have to offer him the Supermax under the right circumstances to keep him. Well, now all of a sudden you're paying him LeBron money, but he's not LeBron. Or you're paying him Kawhi money, he's not Kawhi. Or KD money, and he's not KD. Yeah. And some teams are in that situation where they're kind of having to fight themselves on this. And but, it creates- it all, but it also becomes a thing where, not just Charlotte in that case, although I know he went to Boston, but whoever is going to have to pay that kind of money. Now, obviously, unless you're the, the home team, so to speak, you can't pay the Supermax. You can only do a max. But it's like, hey, you know what? If you're good enough, the options you have to get max money are not limitless, not endless, but pretty damn close in terms of where you want to sign and where you're going to go. You know, you have a lot of power over that. And it's what's to say that if you want that money... Well, okay, I'm going to go over here. Well, we want you to stay with us. Well, are you going to pay me that money? No. Then I'm going to this team. That's always going to be part of the conversation is that we'll see how that impacts the next CBA because the players are always – the players have for years tried to move the needle towards having these potentially larger and larger and larger contracts. And now with the Supermax contracts, Russell Westbrook in his last year, I think his last year, he would be scheduled to make with his player option $47 million. That will be at the end. So, so where in theory, Russell Westbrook's athleticism would have faded and he would be the worst version and he has the option to take $47 million. By that, I mean he will accept the $47 million. Of course. And I, I think that's somewhere where the NBA may be really looking at this. But I have a question, for, and I, I don't know off the top of my head and I don't know if you do either, but this, this free agency period, just this year alone, did anybody sign a Supermax? Other than Clay, I think Clay Thompson did. Yeah, he was off. But is he the only one? I think he was the only one, because I think a lot of the players opted to go somewhere else. Yeah, well, so it's like, you know, you may get to a point where it's like, is the Supermax even a viable thing if really nobody's signing with the home team, if that trend continues? Well, that that's a valid question. And the, the, the idea, though, to your point, is that the owners kind of snookered themselves because their thought was, by creating the Supermax thing, we would make it so cost prohibitive for a player to leave where it's like, are you going to leave $70 million off the table over the course of the contract or $60 million or whatever it's going to be, depending on the player and whatever the situation is, would you leave $60 million on the table? And what's happening is the players are saying, yeah, it's $60 million, but I'm still going to make one hundred and fifty. So, okay. Yeah. I'm still even. Exactly. Because they're still making more money than God anyway. So it's not like, yes, it's costing you some money, but it's not costing you so much that you could... You'll never make the money back, but at the same time, you're also not going to um, – you're probably not going to lament the loss of it too much. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like I said, the, play, the owners thought that this was going to be the carrot that would be like, no, no, no. We're just going to offer you so much money, you're going to be like, I must stay. And the players are like, eh, 
Under the right circumstances, maybe I will, maybe I won't. If I like it, if I like the situation, but you know what? Yeah, the money's great and all, but I need to choose my teammates. I need you to, can I have a limo, a personal masseuse? Like, can you yeah. throw some extra perks and, in And, 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 yeah. and. And we'll just keep going. And just, I want it all stipulated in my contract. I want all of it. And again, it's a give and take, and I really don't feel sympathetic for billionaire owners. It's your, your businessman, presumably. It's your own damn fault. No, I don't either. Uh, but I do feel I do feel sorry for the fans. It's true. It's true. I think I right, think, like like right now. Yep. I'm just gonna pick a team. What does Charlotte have to look forward to next year? Um, you're owned by Michael Jordan. Have they been looking forward to that previously? Because I don't think they have been. Maybe Michael Jordan should start signing autographs for all the season ticket holders. Or maybe you should send Phil Kessel and see if his season ticket base goes up six hundred percent. That could be a thing. Hey, you know what? I'm down for that. I think it could work. No, but it's it's true. Uh, but I don't understand why there's a team in Charlotte in the first place. There, there's a lot of markets where it's like, okay, but I don't. I, I understand you need to have a team, but like I think the NBA at this point is just fixated on let's have thirty teams. They're not going to start taking away teams no. because that takes away games that they could put on the TV contract, which takes away content, which then makes their TV contract worth less. Correct. So even if it's the Charlotte Bobcats, damn it, the Charlotte Bobcats still have to play other teams that people actually want to see sometimes. But you know they've gone. They're the Charlotte Hornets again, right? Did they change it back? Yeah. I did not. So this is, again, testing our, our, our basketball knowledge, right? No, it's more like testing our Charlotte knowledge. No, no one cares no. about Charlotte. Okay, fair enough. But here's what you should you should do, okay? Look up when they changed the name back to the Hornets. Was it 2015? <laughs> I, I wish it was. It's I, like, what happened? The Charlotte Bobcats announced in direct coordination with Major League Baseball that we are changing the home run derby. Also, we'll rename them the Hornets again. No, but but it's it's funny because I did not know that, right? Because I, I like because basketball. Because no one cares about Charlotte. Apparently. But I, I, as I maybe have mentioned on this program, I bought NBA 2K. Okay. Or 2K19, right? So I'm going through the thing, and, and, and you know, when you're just kind of going through and looking at the team, and I'm like, well, that, that logo's kind of weird. What, what team's that, right? It's Charlotte Hornets. And I was like, interesting. When did they change their name? So, uh... Do you have the answer? I, hold on, I... If it, it wasn't was, for, if it wasn't for copyright, I would put in the Jeopardy music right now. No, it's it's it was twenty fourteen. Was it twenty fourteen? Yeah, it was the so end, close. It was after the twenty fourteen. Well, it was it was after the twenty fourteen season. Oh, so it, you know the 2014-2015 season was was when they when they went back. Oh, to, so close. Right, but here's the thing, you didn't know that. Neither did I. You right? So I, it's like these things in sports, just like the home run derby, where you know. And I've I'm pretty sure I've probably watched a Raptors game. Mm. Against or, Charlotte. Or two or against three Charlotte. against Charlotte since they went back to the Hornets and not noticed. And this is where we'll insert a picture of a Charlotte Horn of a Charlotte Hornets jersey, a recent one, which where the jersey actually just says Hornets in size five thousand font. And everyone's like, So what's your team name again? It it says Hornets in the biggest possible font, humanly possible. Oh, okay, okay. I got you. So David's just showing me the logo. Uh, okay, great. Why did they change it in the first place? It's just to change it back. Well, I think what happened, I mean, without actually doing any research whatsoever, right? So they folded the team in Charlotte, right? And yeah. Sh- and they moved to New Orleans. Yes. So while they were first in New Orleans, they were the New Orleans Hornets. I have, randomly enough, a Chris Paul New Orleans Hornets jersey. Yes, and that era was prodigious. Uh, remembered, remembered fondly by everyone. Right. Although, I mean, New Orleans has had a favor in that way, that the sense that they had Chris Paul. They've always had a star, right? They Pretty much. They've had Chris Paul, and then he left, but they drafted Anthony Davis. And then he left, and they draft Zion. I mean, obviously, it's 
to be determined what yep. he's going to become. Anyway, breaking news: he's left. But but they traded uh, when when New Orleans changed their name back to the Pelicans. Then Hornets are like, hey, the Charlotte's like, hey, it's up for grabs. Let's go back. I just wish they had gone the next level and just named them the Rough Riders, just to spite Ogilvy. I w- I wonder how many people listening will actually get that reference. Google it, people. The Google machine is good. Just look up Rough Riders. There's one with a space and one without a space. Do it. Yeah, no, uh, it, it, like, I'm serious when I say this. The NBA has its share of markets where I'm just like, why? I, I understand. I guess I understand why, because they had to put it somewhere. And I, I guess there's a lot of markets where it's like, do you really want to put a team here? But I think there's, there's always markets in, in pretty much every sport. Well, I feel like one of these where, teams should just no, be moved to Seattle. Well, that's one the, of these teams where, should just where, be moved back the, to Seattle. Where you're like, how do you have a team in this city and not have a team in this city? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So what you're saying is we need to reinstate the um, Toronto Wolves to compete with the Raptors, and then we'll get a team in Buffalo. I'd be down for a team in Buffalo. I think that would be good. I actually think that would be a smart move. If you're going to have random teams in random locations, let's just move Charlotte to Buffalo. That'd be kind of funny. Yeah. I, they I do, do have an I arena. Do, I do believe Charlotte has a larger population. What is your point? But I understand what you're saying. Okay. I, I, get, I get your point. But, but I, you know what, though? I would attend random Buffalo NBA team games occasionally. I don't have their attendance figures in front of me, but I really don't think that's had an impact on Charlotte's NBA attendance. I could be mistaken, but I don't know if it's really translated into butts in the seats. The fact that they happen to have a larger population. How about I give you some attendance figures, Carlos? Go. What do you got? Okay. I'm just going to go for average because that's... Better. Average is, average okay. is kind of what we want right so now. So for, for this year, this season, okay. the highest ranked team was the 76ers. Sure. Okay. With, and they averaged 20,441 fans. Before anyone asked me, Raptors... You average 19,824 fans for being fourth. Yeah, I don't think they can do 20,000 for a basketball game. I don't think they can. I don't, I don't think their capacity holds that anyway. This right. year they could have done that, but uh, I don't think they have well, the capacity. They were at, they were over capacity. They were at 100.1%. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. Like, the actual arena is not configured to do a 20,000 right. for and basketball. And the 76ers were 100.6, but the Bulls averaged 20,084 fans a game. And that's at 96% capacity. That's actually really impressive for Chicago. I'm actually really impressed uh, by So that. there's a few arenas that hold over 20,000. Sure. Now, the Hornets ranked 23rd in the league, 16,501 fans at 86.5% capacity. That's still a lot more than I would have thought. 16,000. It's not bad. It was also interesting, randomly, the Pelicans averaged 16,004 fans a game, and that's 93.1% capacity. Well, they have a small arena. So uh, The Smoothie King Center isn't doing it for you? Yeah. Every team averaged over 80% capacity in the NBA. Yeah, that's the, lo- fair. the actual percentage-wise, lowest team was the Atlanta Hawks at yep. 81.8% capacity. I think what helps the NBA as far as the way they've marketed themselves, and I think this upcoming season will be good for that. So where you mentioned earlier about the player empowerment, normally I think it has gone too far. However, this year it has wor- totally worked in the NBA's favor because – Think about, instead of having one or two super teams, you've got a bunch of these teams with two stars. you got the two teams in L.A., which will be interesting. It could be good. It could be a train wreck. But it'll be, it'll be worth watching. Eyeballs will be on it. You'll have a new, a new duo in Houston. You'll have a, uh, you know, you'll, people will be kind of paying attention to Brooklyn because they want to see what happens this year leading into next year. And then next year, you'll have a duo in, in Brooklyn. And then you're going to have some, I'm blanking on who Kemba Walker signed with. Boston. 
Boston could be interesting potentially with the way they're configured. I don't think they have like a big two, but they could still be interesting the way they're configured. No, I think they're a playoff team, but I think they've they've dropped off. Sure. Especially with the loss of Al Horford. But the point is there's a lot of teams that are kind of like in that pretty good. I'll be interested to see what happens. I think the league is going to be very interesting to watch, and I'm obviously planning on watching a lot more basketball this year. I think it will be competitive, which I think think will help. Uh, I'm not sure how, you know, after the top two, three teams in the East – I think there's going to be a big drop-off. Sure. But in the West, I think you've got potentially five teams that can all make some noise. I think, I think the thing is the, the conference is deep. So if you're looking at it from the programming perspective for the league, if you want to have like a game of the night, you know, whatever your big primetime game, you got options. Oh, all, totally. All over the country in different parts, you can get the later game, you can get the earlier game. There's going to be matchups, and you're going to be able to market these stars in these different markets. So to your point about the NBA attendance, I think what helps is that even if the Charlotte Hornets are not that great, they're going to play teams that are going to have the stars, and people will come into the arena to see the stars. So they're still, it's like, okay, you know what? My team sucks, but I can watch James Harden. I can watch LeBron. I can watch you know Kawhi Leonard. I can watch these players. And they will be in my arena, and I can at least watch them. And that's basically what the Knicks fans have been doing for the last 40 years. It's like, let's watch somebody else torch us. Yeah! <laughs> the Garden! But basically, that's what happens. And uh, I think that helps in certain ways. So I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens with Charlotte. I, I, really, I genuinely don't know what they can do. There's, they're, they're basically on a permanent rebuild. I, you know, Jordan, Michael Jordan might have been a great basketball player, but he has no eye for talent. And he has no eye for executives. He, has, he doesn't know how to hire an executive who can get talent. So it's not like that team has any hope of getting any better. Yeah. Maybe he can clone a younger version of himself to play for his own team because it's about all he can do. I'd be fine with that. There you go, Michael. There you got to get the, get the technology together. The answer together. is there. Get the technology together. Maybe you can clone yourself for a younger version and have him play for your team. Mind you, he might hold out and then get himself traded. <laughs> Jordan won't play for his own team. That would be funny. <laughs> That'd be great. It's like, I'm taking my talents to South B. Jordan, this is your team. <laughs> Can Jordan do that as an owner? That'd be amazing. I'm, ta- I pr- I pr- I'm taking my ownership talents to South B. You can't ditch your own team. Yeah, they, they might be arm for sale. I don't care. <laughs> He'll do a KD. He'll inform them via social media that he has agreed he to just, be part owner the of the Miami Heat. I, I hear Seattle's looking for a team. <laughs> there, there you go. It might be the play. That right there is the unnecessary nonsense we all come for. It happened. We, we got there. Hey, we tried to give the people what they came for. I, I don't know why the, the, the thought just clicked with me, and I was like, I would love that. The NBA, get on this. This is the one thing, this is the one undiscovered area you have yet to explore. Owners randomly ditching their own teams. That's like the new frontier. That's the next level. Player empowerment, owner empowerment. I'm not taking this anymore. I am leaving this team. You own this team. I am leaving this team. You guys can have it. So, when, so basically you mean they're following the CFL model where the league just takes over teams? Hey, Carlos, I just burned the CFL, and I never do that. I was going to say, I'm so proud of you. I have never been more proud of you than I am right now. That, 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 was, that, was a solid, that was a solid CFL burn right there. And, you know, the reason they would have done that is to draw attention because hashtag rigged. But anyway... Yeah, I think I think I, overall we could talk about the NBA for a while because there's a lot. There, there really, there genuinely is. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty, there's a ton, and we'll have time. Like right now, the NBA, to be well, honest, I, at the way things are going, next week's podcast may be all NBA too, based on yeah. what moves happen. You know what trades happen in the next week. Yeah, and by the way, everyone, uh, we're not doing it on purpose. It's just the fact that they're giving us content. We, we, we're interested in talking about what we're interested in talking about. And there was a lot there to go through, just the sheer list of things. 
I, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Yeah. So it's one of those things. We'll, we'll get other stuff in there as time goes on. I'm sure the CFL will eventually do something. Randomly trade. Are you sure we can't get another team in Baltimore? That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of funny. We've got to try. Give it time. Right now they're looking at uh, the UK market. Not for expansion, but for, you know, uh, market. You know, now that I mentioned the, the CFL, you know what would be great for content? Really, a good, I think a good idea in the, the hashtag reg league. What you could do is if the Raiders get frustrated enough, they could stay in Las Vegas, but trade themselves to the CFL. The Las Vegas Raiders could so become... So not only are owners saying, I'm taking my talents to South Beach, but now whole teams are going to just say... I am taking my talents to Canada, but I'm staying in Las Vegas. That seems like the best of both worlds, quite frankly. Then we'd have a CFL team in Las Vegas, Dave. And Carlos moves to Las Vegas. I will, become, I will become your CFL correspondent in Las Vegas. I will be a beat writer for the Las Vegas Raiders of the CFL. And it's like, Antonio Brown's like, what have I done? <laughs> 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 Suddenly, Mr. McShane was like, he does an interview where he's like, I regret everything I've done that led me up to this point. Yeah. Can I go back to Pittsburgh, please? I have made so many mistakes. Ben, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everyone, I apologize. Uh, I apologize to that right there would be worth it. It's like I apologize to Heinz Ward. He has nothing to do with this, but I apologize. Take me back. That'd be amazing. Yes, yes, it would. Uh, I just built a better version of the CFL that I'll never see. Everything is now just a disappointment by comparison. All right, at least we have the rouge. You know, that's something, I suppose. Yes. That's all, that's all, that's what I can hang my hat on. All right. right. So now I think we can talk about things we're looking forward to. I already mentioned the UFC, so that's definitely going to be a thing. I will give a quick shout out as well, actually. Of course. I did mention it to you earlier. I got a chance to check out the Chernobyl HBO miniseries. It's not sports related, but it's still a thing. I thought really well done. If If you're a historical person or somebody's interested in history... I've watched enough documentaries and read up enough things about it that keep in mind it is Hollywoodized. It is going to be really heavy on the melodrama. Like they're going to be, I explained to Dave, they beat you over the head with it to the point that you're like, guys, do you really have to? He's like, no, you don't understand. This is tragic. Accept the tragedy. And I was like, calm down. I said, accept. This is tragic and you will acknowledge it. Okay, it's tragic. Okay, cool. Calm down. But. It is really well shot, really well done. It is interesting, and I think it's well acted. I think they did a good job with it. But they do take some liberties. So just don't take it as, you know, full historical fact. They do need to make some adjustments to make it more dramatic. And they go all out on the drama. But it's five episodes. Definitely check it out if you can. I think it's worthwhile. High quality, I think. But as far as looking forward to, other than the UFC fight, where it's going to be, as I said, Aspen Ladd and and Duranami in the main event and some other interesting kind of sidelines, other than that, I think it's going to be a baseball weekend, actually. This is the first time the, this year, this summer that I'm going to think, I think I'm properly going to be able to really watch some proper baseball, front to back. And that's kind of my plan. Nice. So I think that's going to happen, and that's kind of what, I've been wanting to do that, and it's like, well, we made it to the middle of July. So now I think it's time, because we're going to start, we're going to start warming up into the stretch drive. We're going to head into it, because no matter how disillusioned I am with baseball, I am always independent races, and playoff baseball is my jam. Once we get there, I'm watching everything so that'll be good that's what i'm looking forward to what do you got dave just before we i get into that did, which division did we say was going to be the most competitive in baseball this would require us to listen to our own podcast because i feel like i really hope we said the nl central because that division is extremely interesting as, as you're talking pennant races i think um what i'll do let's do this i will commit to this i'll double check and i'll review uh that segment of the podcast and let's take a look next week Oh, on a little mini segment, 
Let's look at how we're doing so far on our predictions, just to kind of see where we're at. Sounds good. Because I think Chicago was better than I would have expected. There's a couple of them that, and the Yankees basically had the entire team injured, and they're still first place, which is weird. And impressive. Yeah, impressive, but very very odd. All right, so I have, uh, well, three things, but also four things. So my three things I'm looking forward to. He's a school teacher, everyone. Three things, but four things. Uh, Three of them all take place tonight. Okay. uh, Which is Saturday. So depending on when you get the podcast. I was going to say, like, uh, you're asking a lot of me from the editing perspective. I'll see what I can do. But uh, Toronto and Montreal are playing each other in MLS. So there's that. The Dodgers are playing the Red Sox, which is a, a rematch of last year's World Series, obviously. The Red Sox destroyed the Dodgers last night, 8-1. So they've now lost, I think, I believe, four games in a row, if you count before the All-Star break. Mm. Uh, but they've got two more games, so a Sunday a Sunday game too. So that's obviously something to look forward to. CFL, Hamilton is playing Calgary, and I think that's going to be a good test to see sort of where Hamilton actually is at. Is that the late game? Uh, no, that it's in Hamilton. Oh, in Hamilton, okay. So it's a, a 7 p.m. start. Got it. Uh, and then I know this might go into next week and possibly the week after that as well but the mlb trade trade deadline yes right uh though you know trade talks heat does up does tend and to be less eventful though i gotta be honest of all the trade deadlines i feel like the mlb one usually is, the, is no. a little less yes but what i'm saying is in the build-up to the deadline sure. anything that may be happening in the rumors that are f- swirling around and i think the big one locally is the stroman i think everyone's yeah. just kind of looking to see what happens uh, you know they if they trade marcus stroman which they probably should yeah uh, and what they would get in return. Yeah, but the, the idea is basically, you know, the teams that you really, the contenders are really starting to separate themselves from the pretenders, unless you're in the NL Central. Mm. Uh, and it's curious to see, you know, there's always going to be movement and, and where people go. And, and, and obviously, I'm with a particular mind to the Strowman, as you mentioned, but also to see what the Dodgers should do. Uh, there's lots of talk that they're going to try and get Madison Bumgarner from the uh, Giants, which I think would be a really interesting move for a variety of reasons, at least of which because there's so many players on the Dodgers that Bumgarner hates. <laughs> so um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing where people go and the start of significant moves because obviously some minor things have happened already. But to see some, you know, uh, a couple Dodgers trade a couple pitchers for cash the other day, you know, not moves like that, but big name for prospect or big name for big name trades. That's fair. I think I like that. One of the things that I'm hoping is I don't know if I don't know what MLB needs to do. I don't want I don't necessarily need blockbuster trades all the time. But I do feel like a lot of the times the MLB trade inline tends to be a lot of depth pieces moving around, which is fine. You know, you that's part and parcel of what you need. But it'd be nice to have like a like a blockbuster every couple of years. Just something interesting kind of to to keep to keep everybody's attention. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I'll, I'll check out. I think around then I'll pop into the MLB network and kind of see what they're up to for their coverage because they're usually pretty good with that. All right. So are we ready for shameless plugs? Yes. Sorry. I didn't realize you were actually asking me. I was just. That, it was, it was phrased plugs. in the form of a question. Yes. Sorry, man. I just I, I thought you were asking the people, not me. Could you imagine how long we could do the awkward silence? It's like, no, seriously, I'm going to need you guys to answer that. I, I, I'm asking you. But shameless plugs. All right. So, first of all, you can catch the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast, as I mentioned earlier, on YouTube. If you want to see static images of our faces with the audio playing in the background, if that's your thing, that's a good place. Also, though, we do Unnecessary Nonsense podcast extras from time to time where we talk about different topics or if something breaks, like when the Kawhi Leonard thing happened and I had to re-record the podcast, I fired up the microphone, talked about some of the particulars, and laid out some of the things we talked about today. Obviously, there was more. So in the, you know, in the podcast itself, we can then lay out more detail. We can get Dave's take on it as well. 
but I'll usually fire it up. Also, uh, what I'm going to be putting together is that from the last podcast, we had a good general topic that's a little bit more evergreen, talking about the place of radio and basically sports radio in the sports landscape, media landscape today, talking about that. Dave's a big radio guy, so we had a good conversation on that piece. So I'm going to clip that and edit that together, and then I'm going to throw that as an unnecessary nonsense pod, which will appear on the YouTube channel. Also, you can check us out on Instagram, at Unnecessary Podcast, Twitter, at Unnecessary underscore pod, and our site is unnecessarypodaltogether.podbean.com. So that's where you can find and download. But of course, you can also check us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. So you got options. That'll be it for us. And until next time, we will catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.